Holland's erosion of the rule of law has set an alarming precedent in Europe. A democratically elected government turning against the foundations of democracy itself and stripping its citizens of basic human rights is indeed a shocking scenario, happening right in front of our eyes. We have invited Elisa Rutinowska, lawyer at the Civil Development Forum in Poland and a PhD candidate at the Faculty of Criminal Law at Warsaw University, to talk about the crumbling of the rule of law and the increasing human rights violations in Poland, as well as being a lawyer in a lawless state, as she says in her own words. Hello, Elisa, and uh, welcome to the Activism Academy podcast. Um, today we will be talking about uh, the latest developments in uh, Poland. So it would be maybe nice for our um, listeners if you could uh, introduce yourself and your work. Right. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a, it's an honor. Um, my name is Eliza Rutinowska. I am a lawyer, a human rights lawyer um, from Warsaw, Poland. Um, so I work in, in the capital city of the country. Um, I'm also an attorney trainee um, of the Warsaw Bar Association. Um, and as well as that, I'm also a PhD candidate at the University of Warsaw, focusing on criminal law in terms of hate crime. Nice. So your uh, work on hate crimes quite much uh, aligns with what we do also with Khalifa Eiler. And uh, I would like to ask you about uh, your latest article that uh, you have been writing about the situation in Poland. And uh, you defined yourself as a lawyer in a lawless state. So would you like to tell us what is happening now in Poland? Well, I will have to be very, very, very brief <laughs> with everything. Um, it is quite difficult to wrap up the last six years of a destruction of uh, the rule of law, democracy, and therefore the basically um, human rights in the country in, in a couple of minutes, but I'll try. Um, I define myself as a lawyer in a lawless state because um, as lawyers, we only have the law that we can use um, to fight against, um, you know, the obstruction of, of justice or uh, an attack on human rights. We don't, we're not ones to go out into the streets with batons and, and guns and, and whatnot. Uh, we are the ones that fight in courts. And, you know, the way you fight in court is by using law, by using words, by using rules and regulations that we have all, as a community, as a society, decided to adopt and follow. Now, the difficulty behind what is going on in Poland right now is that we are following the rules as the weakest link, really, because, you know, we don't have the sort of monopoly of, of violence as the state has. Um, and yet the state does not follow the rules uh, by which we abide. Um, we are looking at a country where the prosecutor's office, um, the public prosecutor's office has been politicized. Um, the Minister of Justice is the prosecutor general at the same time. What does that mean? That means that he has power over all the proceedings that are taking place in the country right now. Um, to give you an example, we have seen a rise of, um, of, of proceedings against, uh, for example, nationalists that have thrown women uh, protesters down the stairs of a cathedral um, and have seen them not being persecuted for that. Um, and yet women who have taken to the streets to organize themselves against 
a, basically a, an entire ban on abortion because the only, I'm, I'm guessing we'll come to that later on, but effectively abortion is right now banned in Poland. Um, and we're looking at those women being persecuted for organizing illegal protests. Um, so the entire legal system and the entire legal world, so to speak, has been turned upside down. Um, a bodies, bodies that we have, that we have, use ourselves to take as a kind of mechanism of defense, of, as, as a mechanism of checks and balances in our country, such as the Constitutional Tribunal, have also been taken over and politicized. Right now, the Constitutional Tribunal in Poland is kind of this machine for rubber stamping any decision that the public uh, bodies make and the, um, and the legislators want to take. Um, they are right now fighting with the EU, um, basically questioning the primacy of EU law. Um, and all of this is to say that we are now just to kind of, uh, because we're right now in the middle of, of, the, of the football matches, right, just to give you a very um, visible kind of uh, uh, view, uh, imagine going into a game knowing the rules and yet first losing the judge. Um, to the other team, so you know that the judge will always rule in favor of the other team, and then know that the other team can suddenly change rules and regulations as we go along, depending on what ha what happens uh, during the game, so that they win always, and you're left with that, defenseless basically. So that is what a lawless state looks like in the middle of the European Union in the 21st century. And so it's a complete erosion of all the rules that have guaranteed your rights for so long. And to give more context to us non-Polish people, it would be really interesting to know the link um, with the rise to power of the Law and Justice Party and how the public response is to that. Right. So their rise to power was actually very interesting because um, as many populists do, they also found a weak link. Um, and they have used the immigration crisis mostly back in 2015 um, to raise these sort of doubts uh, within the society regarding on whether or not the EU can protect us. Um, of course, this is quote unquote uh, against against you know these these invaders that are coming in from from the south. Um, their rhetoric was absolutely. Um, despicable, the rhetoric that was used um, and to attack basic human rights um, was absolutely despicable. Um, we are looking at a party, at a populist party that has kind of used and kind of wiggled their way into the, the word sovereignty, independence, as something in opposition to uh, the EU uh, community. Um, and unfortunately, something that we have witnessed as, uh, you know, representatives of the, of the civil society, um, we have not as a community um, and as a, as, a, as a Polish nation have been taught to regard ourselves as Europeans as well as Poles. So many people have because they have experienced Erasmus exchanges, they have had the pleasure of, you know, actually interacting with, with the EU, but many have not. And those are the people that have resonated mostly with the new rhetoric that was brought into the public discourse. Um, so what happened was these populists, they sort of kind of 
tried and, and really played on the most primitive um, of, 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 of national feelings that you can have um, and kind of wiggled their way into, into the public discourse and stayed there, unfortunately. Um, now, the problem with populists is that they come into power via democracy and via democratic standards and mechanisms, and then they use um, gaining power to dismantle these these mechanisms and 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 the overall kind of status quo that they have uh, that they have come into power, um, and then suddenly, you know, six years later, flash forward six years later, you're not in a democratic state anymore, and yet they will always say that we have not, you know, taken power over by force. We have been chosen, and they use that to justify whatever they're doing. They justify it by saying the sovereign, the nation, has chosen us. That is just unfair play at this point, and it's a common trick in the book of the, of tyrants and fascist states. And unfortunately, people seem to not learn from history. Um, but also, what is interesting is that the EU has been showing a pretty timid reaction towards the author authoritarian escalation, we can say, in, the, in Poland. Um, what is the relationship between the Polish people and the EU? And what do you think the EU should do to support its citizens in the best possible way? That is a very interesting question and a crucial one uh, during these couple of days, especially because we have just had the General Affairs Council hearing on Poland and Hungary. Um, and I was shocked to find that um, none or, you know, little to none uh, states have actually stood up and asked difficult questions. And from what I've heard, uh, most of the countries of the new EU, so to speak, so those that have joined, that have joined 2004 and, and later on, have not have decided not to take a stand um, during the hearing, um, which is extremely worrying. Poland was one of the most Euro-enthusiastic societies that you can imagine. Um, you know, joining the EU was a massive affair. It was a massive, you know, festivity basically um, of, of, of really moving forward. After after the um, it was just one of the new steps going into into a really democratic state and a modern one at that, and then suddenly, um, once the EU really started taking notice of what is going on uh, regarding our judiciary, um, our our media freedom, uh, human rights that have been uh, that we're starting to get curved more and more as 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 as, as the power grew, um, suddenly the uh, public authorities have taken to saying that the EU is actually. Um, stepping into and, and pushing boundaries that they should not push, that they are interfering within our sovereign kind of, you know, again, with the sovereignty and the independence and, and, and all that. Um, and some people have, have actually started to wonder if that's not true. So our Euro-enthusiastic approach has suddenly dropped. Um, due to this public narrative of the EU intervening where it should not, of, of the EU, you know, taking a stand where it doesn't really belong, where uh, ex where EU is, is supposedly expanding uh, the competences that are given to it in the treaties. Um, and at the same time, there was another group within uh, where I place myself, is that the EU has not done enough. It has not said clearly that the, not only that this is not toler tolerable, but it has used and abused the word concerned. Whenever I hear the word concerned, uh, my skin starts to tingle again, um, because they have been concerned 
for the past six years. And really what is going on in Poland is just a blueprint. I mean, what is going on in Poland has gone on in Hungary before that. And basically, if anybody, if any state in the EU thinks that it's going to end with Hungary and Poland, with two black sheep that we can throw out of the family or exclude from the family, um, that is not true. Because, you know, authoritarianism has its appeals. I mean, it is very appealing to people who uh, have a, take a taste of it, basically. Especially during the pandemic, we have, we have seen that, you know, safety measures, just as it happened with uh, terrorism issues, right? Um, safety measures, public safety measures, all of that uh, can be abused. And they are abused once, once somebody gains, you know, a notice that it works. Yeah, yeah, like in Hungary, there have been some measures that have been passed under the table during the COVID regulations to um, to limit the, the rights of trans people, for example. That's exactly what happened in Poland regarding freedom of assembly, for example. Um, so basically what happened in Poland is that they have used um, not the, the, the real legal acts to govern, uh, but firstly, they have decided not to introduce the state of emergency because during the state of emergency, you cannot go through with elections, presidential elections, for example. Um, and they wanted to go through with presidential elections back in May of 2020. Um, and that's why they didn't introduce a state of emergency. So what did they do uh, in, in, in response to that? Firstly, they started introducing massive, and I'm talking about around 200 pages worth of legislation passed within one night in the parliament, uh, which were uh, legislations concerning COVID and the prevention of the spread of COVID. And under those provisions, many provisions had nothing to do with the, with the pandemic. Um, but they were passed all the same because, I mean, come on, who's going to oppose uh, preventing the pandemic? And then the regulations uh, came into play. So regulations in the Polish legal system are way, way, way more technical than they are, for example, in the EU system. So they are like the lowest kind of range of legal acts that you can have. And they're used to kind of implement legal, uh, bigger illegal legal acts. Um, so what I always say is that you have furniture, uh, you know, delivered from Ikea, you have a set to create a, a rectangle table. So you cannot create a, a round uh, mirror from it, for example, um, because that set of, of, of pieces from Ikea is, is kind of the legal act that you are bound to follow. Uh, however, they decided to construct those mirrors from those rectangle tables, and they have widely uh, abused uh, the, 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 the way that regulations can be used. So, for example, regulations were the ones who, which basically locked down our economy, and it was through regulations that freedom of assembly was basically um, curbs to the point where, where spontaneous assemblies are supposedly prohibited. Uh, what is also interesting is that for a while, for now, we can see each other in cafes and, and, and you know, walk around, but we cannot assemble uh, freely according to the, uh, to the governing um, powers. So I'm going to take a step back from and going back to the European uh, law that you've been talking about as a, as a system. Uh, the Court of Justice of the European Union said that uh, Poland breached the independence of its own judicial system. And um, do you think there is any way for Poland out of this uh, situation? I mean, to go back into being a properly democratic state and reverse the current trend? 
Well, sure. I mean, the first question, the first answer that comes to mind to this question is that, I mean, if they reverse all the changes that they have done to the judiciary and basically um, make sure that uh, the judges are chosen as independent judges and, no, and not with, you know, political ties or uh, or somehow dependent upon political parties and, 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 and nominees, um, if they uh, decide to swore in uh, the regular judges into the constitutional tribunal because currently we are dealing with uh, people that were sworn into places that were already spoken for um, uh, back in 2016, 2015. Um, if all of that were to somehow change, then sure, we can, we can talk about independence of the judiciary. But the question is, are we really are we really talking with a, an entity that wants that? Um, I mean, we can have these recommendations and we can have these rulings and we can have these interim measures, but if they're not going to be implemented, if they're just going to be ignored by this entity, then we have to face the facts. We are looking at somebody who does not want an independent judiciary because an independent judiciary will become a watchdog, will become somebody, will become an entity that will um, kind of curb the authoritarian uh, rule, and that's not that's not what they want. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Poland is actually one of those states in Europe that has an ombudsman, and the ombudsman has been taken. A stance against what is happening in the country. Would you like to elaborate a bit on uh, on this? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so our ombudsman, so the human rights defender, um, was extremely active during these past couple of years. He has been active in terms of our national issues um, and also on the international arena. Um, so the question with our ombudsman is that his term ended back in September of last year, his constitutional term of five years. Now, the problem is that to choose a new ombudsman, the lower and higher chamber of the Polish parliament have to come to a consensus, an agreement. Um, and this has not been possible for the past, well, we're reaching the year this September. Um, so according to the uh, legal act on the ombudsman, um, the former ombudsman is allowed to carry out his function until the new person steps in. Um, and this has been questioned by the law and justice MPs and have and they have sent in a motion to the politically controlled constitutional tribunal or the politically influenced constitutional tribunal. Um, and they have asked whether or not that provision is constitutional. Uh, the constitutional tribunal has decided not to, to say that it is not. And that uh, and that judgment will come into play in July of this year. Um, so what will happen next? We are, um, I'm afraid, facing a reality where the governing party will amend the legal act on the ombudsman and, for example, introduce a new body, such as an acting ombudsman. The question is, who will nominate a person who will jump into that position? So we're looking at, for example, uh, the president nominating um, a, a new acting ombudsman. Um, will that be an ombudsman? No, because he will lack independence. He will lack the um, kind of watchdog ability once he will be nominated by, you know, one entity, one, 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 uh, one person, for example. Um, so just to show you how important this is, all of the public institutions are somehow tied to the current governing party and to the current governing agenda. So if we lose the ombudsman, 
the Polish civil society will be left on its own. And that is the biggest issue right now. Um, I mean, without a watchdog, we're going to have a lapdog. That's, that's something that I always say. And, you know, the ombudsman's role is not being a lapdog. It's really being the one that barks when, you know, uh, enemies come into, come into view. And I'm afraid that we're going to lose that. At the same time, in uh, we can say the European role of Poland is uh, shifting quite much because uh, not so long ago, the president of Poland has met publicly with uh, Viktor Orban and Matteo Salvini to create a new far-right party in the European Parliament. So what do you think about this? Well, I think that um, we should be creating coalitions with those who see the European Union and the world in a more global scale and in a very modern and democratic way. Um, instead, we are looking at people who have openly fascist and neo-fascist and radical ideas. Um, and those are, those are slowly becoming our um, interlocutors uh, because from what I've seen, uh, many of the uh, democratic leaders no longer want to really engage in a dialogue with Poland. Um, I am looking at all of this from a perspective of a person here on the front lines, so to speak, um, where I see, uh, I mean, we're talking right now about these high, you know, high level diplomatic conferences, but really what is the message that this is sending out? This is a message that is saying uh, that we don't care about, for example, human rights. We don't care about uh, minorities that are, uh, that function within our societies. I mean, the latest coming from Hungary, um, I have been really taken aback about how, about the lack of, of, of reaction, except for I think 13, 13 uh, member states that have taken to writing a statement about it about the so-called homosexual propaganda. Um, maybe on a, slow, on a smaller scale for now, but we are looking at the same thing happening in Poland. I mean, our Minister of Education and Higher Education for that as well, um, is extremely active in terms of publicly shaming LGBTI minorities, um, and the LGBTI minority, and basically attacking it. Um, so I've seen this up and close back in August of last year where this can lead. So there was um, one night, we call it the Rainbow Night, um, where many, many people went out on the streets to protest against this really hateful rhetoric that surfaced, resurfaced during the presidential elections. Um, and they have taken to the streets to protest against that. Um, and there were over 50 people arrested uh, during just one night for peaceful protests. Um, I was one of the I was one of the lawyers who engaged in in actually meeting with the protesters at the police uh, stations, and uh, we were not allowed uh, into uh, to to meet our clients. We had to wait another day. Um, but it was terrifying. It was really something that we saw police officers really targeting people with rainbow um, accessories, um, and then. All of this just resurfaced a couple of months later during the women's strike protests. Um, so all of this is to say that we can talk about high level conferences and diplomatic or less than diplomatic issues, but all of this really resonates with what is going on on the ground. And really with losing the rule of law, losing the ombudsman, not having a, a an independent prosecutor's office, um, right now citizens are really at a loss. 
And as lawyers, we are at a loss as well, because for the longest time, we've always thought, well, okay, maybe not the ECJ or the EU, maybe the EU will not stand up for us. We can still take the stand as individuals and, for example, you know, reach out to the European Court of Human Rights. Well, surprise, surprise, just uh, a, a month or two months ago, I think it was a month ago, uh, that the current person acting as the president of the Constitutional Tribunal, Yulia Przyłemska, decided to say that um, a ruling by the ECHR has no effect on the Polish legal system. So if she said that regarding one ruling that was uh, in regards to, to the so-called double judges sitting in the Constitutional Tribunal, um, so the ones that have taken the places that were already assigned to someone else, um, I mean, she can do that about any other ruling. And basically, just this was just, a, you know, a saying you, you can ignore these rulings. So what is left, really? That's the question. Do you think that if the European Union acted from an economic perspective, it would have more resonance? Uh, Poland is one of the states that received the larger amount of support from the EU. So maybe withdrawing that support, could it, could it have any impact on uh, the way the politicians are acting? I think it's the only response that that the EU really has left, um, because we all can see how the Article 7 procedure is going, or rather not going, because it's not moving in any direction. Um, however, I'll tell you a, a little anecdote about these uh, these funds. So once the um, recovery fund uh, issues were ratified in, in the parliament, um, the current governing party decided to kind of, you know, declare a victory um, and declare that 770 billion zlotych will be were awarded to Poland and now they can use that money. Um, so, but just to really show you how they're presenting it, um, there are huge billboards all around the country about this money. Um, and basically you can see the Polish flag and then there's like this blue background and then once you stand under the billboard and really, really stare into it, you can kind of see these little blue stars over the blue background. And that's how you manage to understand that it's somehow related to the EU. So all that money has been really translated to be money won by the Polish government, not awarded by the EU or supported by the EU in any way, but somehow won by the Polish government. So, um, yes sanctions are really the only way to go, in my opinion, especially regarding the uh, question of interim measures that are being ignored, um, regarding, for example, the functioning of the disciplinary chamber. So there was a disciplinary chamber created next to the Supreme Court, um, and it is a sole purpose is to prosecute judges, prosecutors, and other lawyers. Um, and basically, it has been declared that by many lawyers and uh, what we're looking at is, is probably by the ECJ soon as well, uh, that it is not an independent um, uh, court, so it cannot be considered as a court under EU law. Um, and interim measures were put in place in April of 2020 to basically have the disciplinary chamber um, seize its functioning until a judgment will uh, be made on, on regarding its, its matter. It has not ceased functioning. It has continued to function, and we have immunity of several judges who were standing up against the destruction of the rule of law. Um, and nothing happened. They're still ignoring these interim measures openly, and nothing happened. There is a motion that was filed to the to the so-called constitutional tribunal um, by the disciplinary chamber asking if it has to follow uh, EU law, and 
I'm guessing that in July of this year, we're going to hear that, that it doesn't have to because it's in, you know, it's, it's a breach of EU treaties. And suddenly the, our constitutional tribunal will be declaring whether or not the ECJ is breaching uh, EU treaties. So all of this is to say, without economic impact, um, we're still going to be in this realm of, you know, words and recommendations and, and, and whatnot, but it's not going to have any real impact. But at the same time, whilst administering these sanctions, I really, really, really would urge everyone to understand that this is not against Poland. This is against the Polish government that is acting against the Polish people. And that is a narrative that has to be very clear. My question to you after all this analysis is that the things that are happening now in Poland, do you think that they can happen in other places uh, across Europe? And do you see it happening already? Well, definitely. I mean, we're the second ones in line. So first we have Hungary, of course, which is a um, kind of a prelude to everything. Uh, Poland is the second you know, runner up. And then um, we have several countries that I know for a fact that um, you know, the, 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 there is an organization that is called Civicus, and it has a monitor of, 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 of freedoms and, and rights and, and how they are being curbed in different countries. And I know for a fact that other EU member states have also wound up on their watch list. Um, so it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Uh, it's like I said before, it's a blueprint. And other authoritarians, it's just a question of time when they will pick up on it. What we ha also have to understand is that we are in a very crucial moment in time right now. We are coming out from a pandemic. Um, and this is the moment, you know, as we learn from history, let's not have that short memory as many people do, um, that, you know, this is the moment for populists to strike again. They're going to be the ones who, you know, uh, jobs will be scarce, for example. Not many people will return to offices. Not many offices will open up again. Um, not many people will be able to work remotely. And suddenly there's going to be an area for people to say, well, if there's not enough jobs for us, why do we have all of these different people that are not, you know, our people? And then we're going to go back to 2015 um, because these people are not going anywhere. And suddenly we're going to have the, uh, you know, all of that repeating itself. So I don't think that, you know, issues such as the alternative for Deutschland, for example, in Germany, that this is a, a done deal, a closed problem, and that we only have, you know, that they're only uh, supported by 20% of, of the population. 20% or even 15% is a whole lot of people. And we have to address that. And it's not that uh, we're going to only worry about it when it's the majority that supports them. We have to address it now. And what is going on in Poland and Hungary without a radical reaction from the international society, it will happen and it will happen very quickly in other countries. That is classically how fascism, arri fascism arises. Uh, you only notice it when it's too late and uh, the warning cries of people like you on the front lines are largely ignored. So. It's good to have this conversation with you and to end it with on a, on a lighter note and uh, to allow you to give some uh, recommendations to our listeners on um, books or films on Poland or fascism or LGBTQ, anything that you would re um, recommend to our readers, um, to our readers. Now nah, I have books in my mind to our listeners to get uh, educated on these topics. 
I would highly recommend, um, well, on a lighter note, I I'm not sure if it's a lighter note or not, but I would highly recommend uh, the movie um, The Zookeeper's Wife um, to kind of also understand um, what a, a little bit more about um, the Polish society and what it has gone through uh, during the Second World War as well. Um, it's, it's a great movie with, with one of them. I think there's an actress. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of her surname in a, in a second. Um, but I think it's available on Netflix, or it was for a while. Um, however, the thing is that I also wanted to kind of finish our talk with is that a lot of societies have this feeling of, um, of not being understood. Of, of, a, of a trauma that they have gone through for the longest time and that nobody understood them and why should they suddenly care and be empathetic towards others if their trauma was not uh, addressed properly. And the Polish society is one of these societies. It's one of these societies that ha it has this constant feeling that it has been underappreciated by the by the European community and that it has not been recognized for all that it has done. So I would I would think that um, our uh, unfortunately to understand the Polish society you have to understand our history um, uh, second world war history in, in particular but to also kind of draw people into uh, the question about authoritarianism about and, and about the raising authoritarianism right now um, I would urge you to take a look at Madeleine Albright um fascism uh book on fascism and how it right now uh rises to power again i think it is from back in 2016 but it is very much up to date and accurate right now uh, as well um so that would be my two my two choices thank you so much for accepting our invitation and sharing all that knowledge with us it is important that people know about the fight against fascism in poland to support you and recognize the patterns to learn from your experiences and protect their own communities as we've discussed so power to the Polish people and to you, Elisa. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. It was a pleasure to talk to Elisa Rutinowska, who is warning Poland, Europe and the world about the hushed beginnings that can escalate into an authoritarian cacophony. It is important to keep an eye on Poland and on our own governments, to stay alert and take nothing for granted. If you want to join the conversation, head over to our Instagram or Twitter page and let us know your thoughts. Power to the Polish people, stay tuned and see you soon.